We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Welcome to Behind the Headlines on the South Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and my regular co-hosts this week, as usual, are Neil Bradley. Hello, everyone. And Harrison Keeley. Hello. This week, as you might imagine, we are talking about events in Paris over the past couple of days. Um, another terror attack, quote-unquote. It's undoubtedly a terror attack, obviously. People were killed. A lot of people were killed. 129 at the last count. 32. 132. Went up. Sorry. Um, a lot of people are in critical conditions. Hundreds injured, up yeah. to 100 in critical conditions. So this was a major terror attack in the sense of that, yeah, it terrorized the people involved and it terrorized uh, a large part of the people of France and to a lesser extent, I suppose, the rest of the people of the world. There's a, there's a quote in the Bible that uh, yes. I'd like to read here. Uh, it sums up the situation quite nicely from a general, perhaps the broadest perspective. And it is from Ephesians 6.12 from the King James, King James Version of the Bible. Take it the away. Old, the only version. The only version. The version of reference. The quote is, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Supposedly that was written a long time ago. When the Bible was written, I'm not going to say exactly when because the Bible is completely made up. So it could have been written sometime in the last 2,000 years. Certainly not in the last few years, but a few hundred years ago at least. <laughs> Maybe a few thousand. You never know. That's as close as we get to on the authenticity of the Bible. But it's a very good quote and it very, obviously the person who wrote it um, was um, aware or had a bit of insight. I had a good grasp on how things are. Right, I had a good grasp on on how things are. Because things haven't changed uh, in 2,000 years, or maybe even longer, it seems, because um, there are rulers of the darkness of this world, and there is an awful lot of wickedness in high places, and there always has been, it seems. Nothing ever changes on this planet. Um, The only thing that could hold any hope of things changing on this planet if the majority of, or a majority of the people on this planet actually understood that that is what we're faced with, that we wrestle with principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this world. And it was displayed quite graphically and traumatically in the Paris attacks um, Friday night. So thanks for listening, and uh, just kidding. (laughs) It does sound like a wrap-up. Is that all we have to say on that? That's all we have to say on that. That's all you need to know. Um, No, this obviously, well, as far as I'm concerned, although maybe I'm biased, but this terror attack in Paris was an attack on Russia. 
Paris is now in Russia? No. Oh. What do you mean? Well, it shouldn't have escaped anybody's attention that Russia has been in the crosshairs of Western principalities. Indeed. And those wicked people in high places over the past um, over the past few years, Russia has obviously been the target. Um, as we've already hypothesized just a couple of weeks ago, a Russian plane was shot down. Of course, it was blamed on ISIS, although we're not 100% sure yet. Everything seems to have gone a bit quiet on that front. Mm. They've dropped it, particularly now after the Paris attacks. I don't even think they've identified it or found all the bodies who were supposed to be on the plane yet. Right. <clears throat> but uh, Russia, this is the world we live in, basically, where these kind of attacks were no longer in a world where two warring parties or countries or powers in this world will attack each other directly. They'll attack each other indirectly. Uh, this is described very often as fourth generational, fourth generational warfare, which is not conventional warfare, i.e. just don't amass your men and your troops against each other and, and then shoot it out. What you do is that you use um, asymmetric, another term, asymmetric warfare against each other, where you use anything and everything that you can possibly use to undermine your enemy. Uh, specifically in the definition of fourth generation warfare, it includes attacks on civilian populations, like shooting a, a, an airplane full of... Uh, the civilians of the target country down to apply pressure of some description or send a warning to your enemy. Economic sanctions. Economic sanctions is another one. Cultural war. Cultural war propaganda, media propaganda, demonization in the media. This is the way we're actually in the middle of a third world war in case anybody uh, doesn't realize that. This, the, the much... The long-expected Third World War already has already begun and is already in process, and it's being waged. And a large part of it, uh, in case you haven't noticed as well, is the war for your minds, the minds of the general public. That is kind of the battle, the, the primary battle, battleground. You're also foot soldiers in it. Yes. When well, you support this cause or don't support that cause, you are... Um, an activated element in this war. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> when I said this was an attack, this Paris attack was effectively an attack, at least on one level, was attack, an attack on Russia. What I meant by that was, uh, it's still to be seen, but there's a possibility that this could be used by the West, quote-unquote, French government, British government, and the American government primarily, to... Um, begin a NATO bombing campaign or to attempt to initiate a NATO bombing campaign on Syria to try and undo or push uh, the Russian presence out of Syria in some way or other. Because obviously this is a major, has been a major problem, a major annoyance, a major frustration for the West, particularly America, that Russia, uh, six weeks ago now, began bombing of Syria. That was very much to the dislike or the disliking of um, of the US and other Western powers who thought they had it all sewn up with funding of 
terrorists in Syria to overthrow the Assad regime. Russia steps in and uh, thwarts that attempt and it's in the process of, of thwarting that attempt. Uh, so it seems to me that coming at this time, this Paris attack, which based on the words of President, French President Hollande, who more or less described it as an act of war, well, directly described it as an act of war against France, that would, in theory or technically, activate Article 5 um, of the NATO rulebook, where if one country is attacked, one NATO member is attacked, then other countries within NATO can um, rush to their defence. So, in theory, it's possible that we might, we might see over the next days and weeks talk about some kind of a concerted Western campaign against uh, ISIS in Syria, but which would effectively be used to try and change the the situation in Syria more to the West's liking, which ultimately their goal is, their long-term goal over the past four years has been to remove the Assad government. So that's, can I, can I suggest that that's one possibility? I said on one level, yes. Yeah, um, a, a physical change in the situation as it is right now in Syria. Mm. And But here's another one just to throw it out there. Um, but what if they can't? Because of the situation, because of how Russia has gone in, and what if what if they couldn't actually do that? And the best they could hope from this is, given that this happened on the eve of cross-party talks in Vienna on Syria and what to do with it, what if the best they can get from this is some kind of leverage in the negotiation process about what will happen to Syria? Mm-hmm. In other words, there could be little physical change be gained from it because moving whatever Russia has planned in Syria would be like moving a rock mm-hmm. and they can't get around it because I mean Russia is unlikely to respond to this pressure by going oh what well, fair fair game yeah. well, fair game France yeah out of respect okay fine we'll just, we'll just step aside here we'll just walk away yeah no that's obviously not going to happen and you know I don't think there's any um, there's no Amongst the, I mean, the, the, Putin is in uh, Turkey. No, Putin's mm-hmm. not in Turkey. Yeah, he's in Turkey at the uh, at the G20 uh, meeting. And uh, I don't think these kind of attacks, okay, everybody's uh, sorry, uh, you know, presidents and other world leaders are all expressing their sympathy to the French. But the bottom line is for these people, this is kind of par for the course. I mean, many countries have experienced uh, similar terror attacks, Russia being one of them. And it's not the kind of thing that makes everybody stop and say, oh, my God, we've got to really do something about this. They just kind of carry on with their policy. I don't think as much as the media would say that this is going to be top of the agenda at these meetings in Vienna and in Turkey. I don't think it's going to change the policy very much at all, at least not uh, overt, overtly. So, um, But just to even undercut my own argument there about it being a possible, they may be trying to launch a NATO attack on on, on Syria and in line with uh, what you were saying, Neil, it seems like that seems like a very difficult thing for them to do because Russia's there, it's not going to go anywhere, and NATO planes can't just start flying into Syria without coordinating or without agreeing what they're going to do uh, with Russia. And obviously Russia would um, insist that, as it has been insisting for the past six weeks, that the targets in Syria here are these evil terrorists. I mean, NATO would have to go after terrorists. It couldn't just go ahead and start bombing uh 
Syrian government offices in Damascus or something like that, you know. So, yeah, so that's just one theory. Um, it was on the eve of these talks in Vienna. It was also on the eve of this G20 meeting. Putin is there in Turkey today. He supposedly met with Obama briefly. Um, what other things have, have coincided around this? Coming up in Paris at the end of this month is COP21, the next climate change conference, UN climate change conference. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, the French government announced a week prior to the attacks in Paris that they would be closing the borders, yeah. or at least that was clarified. Closing the borders was the French minister's statement, in fairness, but in the small details, not much would change. There would just be increased border checks and land-based borders, uh, no change to airports or whatnot. So that was a week prior, and that plan effectively was moved ahead by what has just happened. What else is going on around all this? Joe mentioned the the plane that came down in Egypt two weeks prior to the day. Um, well, in Syria, the Syrian Arab Army had their, kind of their first big um, strategic operational um, victory at the Kuwaris Air Force Base, which was which is in Aleppo province, and it's been besieged by ISIS for the past two and a half years. And um, because most of the, well, we've had the Russian airstrikes for the past six weeks. And in concert with that, we've had the, the National Defense Forces and the Syrian Arab Army kind of retaking small towns and villages. Um, there hasn't been anything really major. I mean, they've taken a lot of these towns and villages, but the, nothing's really changed. The, you know, if you look at the map, there haven't been any really big major um, advances by the, by the Syrian armed forces. But they... The, so this has been the biggest one. They retook this Air Force base, and this is in Aleppo province, which is north of the country um, and just north of the Air Force base. And uh, in and around is this, it, this is territory that ISIS has controlled for the past few years, and that's right on the border with Turkey. And where, do, where does ISIS get the majority of its supplies from? Right. Turkey, across that border. Right, so, so a scaled-down version of what I was suggesting was, would be the imposition of a NATO no-fly zone mm-hmm. over northern Syria, where they say these. This is where, for example, they made a lot about uh, made a lot of noise about how these so-called terrorists and our terrorists in the in the Paris attack came, you know, from Syria. Mm-hmm. They're, they're with the refugees, you know, they had Syrian passports, etc. So they're suggesting or more or less stating that they came with the refugees. Therefore, the problem. Uh, has to be to stop these terrorists coming into Europe is a message to all of Europe. You've got to stop these guys coming in. How do we stop them? Well, we have to control that, that kind of area in northern Syria into Turkey. Uh, so there's a possibility there that they would start uh, bombing, maybe, or create bombing in a certain area in Syria or getting even boots on the ground in a certain area in Syria to basically... Uh, to, to plant their flag there and to have some influence there and in that way to uh, push back to a certain extent Russian um, intentions or Russia's um, involvement and increasing control over the Syria situation. So 
the, who knows? There's a lot. Of, basically, the point about this is that there's a lot of political capital that they could use to do uh, several different things, and they're already showing that they're they're using it to do different things. Amongst them being, for example, President Hollande today said that um, he wants to extend the state of emergency in France for three months. To extend it more than 12 days, he has to go to Parliament for a vote. Um, so that, on, on the on the level of kind of police police state or police statification of of France, it obviously plays into that and allows for a more kind of militarized atmosphere within France, a more a, a lack. Uh, a more insecure atmosphere uh, on a social level within France, which obviously serves uh, people in this world with an agenda to control uh, more or less everything that happens uh, in, in as much of the planet as possible. So um, there are various different um, agendas that, that can be fulfilled here uh, as a result of these. I mean, anybody who wants to argue, I mean, Anybody who wants to make an argument about this or wants to uh, say you want to stay away from too much of a conspiracy theory about it, you don't want to kind of go too far down that line of saying it was a false flag or something like that. There's more than enough mainstream official information that that has come out over the past few years to make the case that this is clearly uh, a... the the fault or the responsibility for these attacks uh, lies with U.S. and Western French government uh, policy in the Middle East. For the past uh, four years, the U.S. government, the French government, British government and other governments, uh, including client states of the West in, in the Middle East, have been supporting uh, Syrian terrorists. They've been funding them, arming them, training them. Um, and it's not inconceivable that some of these people, as is being suggested by the mainstream media, came to Europe with uh, refugees, hidden amongst refugees, and decided to attack France because that's what terrorists do. So if you want to, yeah. uh, it's very plausible and very easy, and it's official, it's not conspiracy theory, to make the argument that uh, the responsibility for this these attacks has to be placed at the door of the French government and its alignment with an insane U.S. policy in the Middle East. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if, I mean, if, if you are, uh, if, if you are or if you know someone who is accepting what has happened and isn't it awful and it is awful and is in sympathy with the victims, and is accepting that this was done by evil terrorists who came into our country and did this, and or came into our country and radicalized people and helped them to do it, it it doesn't matter exactly who did it, carried it out, how they got there, because the only reason they came there in the first place was because of actions taken by your government in the preceding decade. Right. No matter how you slice it, the responsibility lies with Western governments who thought they could, this this speaks back to your biblical quote, you know, they're the principalities of power. They thought they could create this monster and manage it and control it and use it right? and compete with each other as to who. So now Turkey's saying, oh, we see we got some people on a leash here. 
if you don't wink wink agree with us on this deal we could always unleash them over your border there saudi arabia explicitly are on record as using that kind of threat against russia in a, in, in leverage over an oil deal yeah they said explicitly that they control the saudi uh, uh, prince bandar who is the Saudi foreign minister or defense minister or something, he was since removed, but he said to Russia two years ago, um, or just last year, I think, uh, two years, no, last year, around the time of the Sochi Olympics, uh, he said to, to Bush or to Putin, specifically said that we control, the Saudis control the ISIS and other groups in Syria. And we can keep them. And also he said we control similar groups in Chechnya and we can keep these people under wraps uh, as long as and they Russia, are sure they won't blow up your Olympic games. Olympic games, yes, they made that very explicit. But of course, uh, this country that is on record as having said they control ISIS is, is best buddies with America and France and Britain and the British and French and American governments won't hear a bad word said about them. You know, this is. I mean, I'm just getting back to the fact that it's it's official officially accepted by all the mainstream uh, media outlets that uh, these same Western countries, America, France, uh, the UK and others, have been supporting uh, the Syrian revolution. Their express and publicly stated over and over again uh, intention was to overthrow the Assad government and to help the terrorists to overthrow the Assad government. This is, they've all been on record saying this. Uh, so effectively, they admitted to furthering and promoting uh, a war, bite a terrorist war in Syria, which was largely uh, against the Syrian people as a part of the process to try and overthrow the Syrian government. So what has that created? That, cr- that has created uh, massive numbers of refugees trying to flee Western-backed uh, terrorists in Syria. So when they create this massive refugee crisis through their warmongering and promotion of terrorists in Syria, what do they expect to happen in their own countries like France or any other European country? Indeed, and right under their noses, year after year, the numbers of people who are already in the West, they've grown up, they're third generation Muslim or Arab descent, or they're even white, get on a plane, and you think they don't know where they're going when they land in Istanbul with a one-way ticket? Right. They don't care, though. I mean, obviously, someone is is allowing this to happen, isn't isn't concerned about this uh, refugee crisis and the flooding of of Europe with refugees, amongst whom, uh, apparently, according uh, based on these Paris attacks, have been uh, jihadi terrorists who came from Syria, where they were being trained and armed and funded by the West. So, does that not suggest that these same terrorists, if they were being trained and armed and funded by the West in Syria, and then came from Syria to Paris? Is that not effectively the French government or the American government or the British government's terrorists who carried out the attack in Paris? Is it not, is it not possible that these people are the people who they were training in, in, in Syria? Well, it must be. By their account, the people, well, they haven't made any official clarified statements, but they've more than hinted at it. We found a Syrian passport or two, uh, possibly an Egyptian one, yada, yada. So... I'm going to assume that they are saying ISIS from the Middle East came to Paris and did this. So right. let's go with this. Okay, so we're, how, did ISIS, how, how did ISIS get now, into the Middle Now East? read the descriptions of these guys, professionally dressed with professional weapons, executing people clinically, one, two, three, four, 
off they go. Who 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 made them into those killers? Right. Who trained on and funded them? Well, it's just look at CNN, look at the Washington Post, look at the BBC. Your answer is right there. They were trained and funded by the West and the West's partners in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia and Qatar and Turkey. Uh, and you know, Holland has the kind of gall to come up and uh, to come out uh, yesterday or after the attack in Paris and say this was an attack on a civilized world. Uh, excuse me, President Hollande, but there's nothing civilized about funding and arming and training terrorists who have massacred thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in Syria over the past four years. What's civilized about that? I mean, there's this fantasy that, that these people keep promoting. There's nothing civilized by, by, about the West's foreign policy. It's absolutely barbaric, and it has led directly to the kind of attacks we've seen in Paris uh, a couple of nights ago. Pull the other one, yeah. Francois. And there'll be more. This is we we predicted this two months ago, and you know this is this, this is, is not stuff, uh, the end of it. You can look you can look up stuff uh, just from from this past year. There's been a lot of stuff that has flown under the radar. But for example, there was uh, in June this year there was a trial in London of a Swedish a Swedish man. Uh, his name was Berlin Gildo or something. He was accused of terrorism in Syria, and he was uh, he was had been in Syria, came back to Sweden. Uh, or, or came to Sweden, and he uh, and he was put on trial for being a terrorist in Syria. But then his his trial collapsed and had to be basically thrown out of court. Why? Because it became clear that British intelligence had been arming the same rebel groups that he, the defendant, was charged with supporting. <laughs> I mean, you can't get any any clearer than that. They, they, they get hoisted on their own petard here, where they try and uh, they try and try and and convict so-called terrorists in Europe who had been engaged in terrorism in Syria, and they go, oh, yeah, but excuse me, Your Honor, I know I'm being accused of terrorism in Syria, but uh, I have to admit to the court that that British intelligence operative sitting in the gallery, he's the one who has given me the money and the weapons. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, we're going to take a recess here and uh, discuss. (laughs) Chase dismissed. (laughs) Quick, get out of here. So when you hear David Cameron say this is an attack on, on our values, one of the values being great British justice. This is what he's referring to. Hmm. Our value is our God-given, whatever, don't think they believe in God, God-given right to manipulate this situation and therefore manipulate you. Hmm. Yeah, um, of course, I mean, if you want more evidence about the fact, I mean, you shouldn't need more evidence, but there's more evidence about, about the fact that the U.S. Uh, this is primarily a U.S. scheme in Syria to overthrow the, 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 the democratically effectively elected Syrian government of, of uh, Bashar al-Assad. There's an American operation that began several years ago, and in 2012, you can look this up. There was a declassified secret U.S. intelligence report from the, uh, I think it was a DoD Department of Defense report which basically uh, outlined, and this is the original report, outlined the fact that uh, the U.S. government was looking forward to uh, a group like ISIS arising in Syria mm-hmm. and, and then being able to use it to overthrow the Syrian government. Yeah, that was the DIA. DIA, or, sorry. Um, Speaking of... Passports, 
um, <clears throat> we're blessed that the professional killers on their way to heaven mm-hmm. after martyring themselves always carry passports. Right. Yeah, at least one of them always does. Yeah, which is totally logical, obviously, <laughs> like you're a, uh, a crazed jihadi Muslim terrorist who is going on a suicide mission with a bomb strapped around your belt, about, around your around your waist. Uh, you're going to blow yourself up uh, for to become a martyr, but you make sure to get your passport renewed before you go and carry it with you to the scene. I mean, it's just well, beggars need, belief. You need a passport to get into heaven. Right, exactly. Talking about passports, though, um, there's a mention of an Egyptian passport found, but they have since released data from what well, Egyptians have since spoken up and said that the Egyptian passport found belonged to an one of the injured victims, yep. not a suspect. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, but you can't include Egypt uh, in this one, although maybe you, um, maybe they were going to try and run with that one. Well, one of the passports <clears throat> was a Syrian one, mm-hmm. and the Serbian Interior Ministry says it has an ID on it, and it was an asylum seeker who passed through Serbia. Sometime, I guess, in the mm-hmm. last few months. Right. But a few uh, uh, over the past year or two, they, there was a report that they actually, um, somewhere in, I don't know exactly, somewhere in Eastern Europe, they stopped a truck that was full of Syrian passports. Yeah, it was either Bulgaria or Hungary, and right. they found 10,000 Syrian passports. Right. And there was another report, um, I believe it was in Germany, a guy got arrested and he had a fake passport, uh, well, a Syrian passport. And in the report about this, there were comments from, I believe it was German officials saying that something like uh, some large percentage of of the refugees or of the, all the Syrian passports were fake. Mm-hmm. Because apparently Syrian passports are easy to come by. Easy to come by and desired because, because when this was all going on. Right. Everyone wanted to be a Syrian refugee as opposed to from anywhere else because the Syrians were the ones getting all the news and being mm-hmm. treated really well, so they all wanted a Syrian passport. Now I've been following the the coverage of um, of this on Guardian and Telegraph, but and what I've noticed from those websites at least is that they've been very careful whenever mentor, mentioning this Syrian passport. They always make sure to mention that that it hasn't been verified and that there are a lot of fake Syrian passports. So we don't even know. We don't know if this guy was the real guy, you know, listed right. on his passport. There's even a report um, that the the passport itself couldn't yet be verified because it seemed there seemed to be some discrepancies with it. Like it didn't really, it didn't match the like an official Syrian number mm-hmm. on Syrian passports. So it's it's kind of fishy there. And then of course the reports about it. It's unclear where exactly it was found. Some say it was on this guy's body, and some say it was near his body. Mm. So it's like, where did this, how, how does that happen? Yeah, the the point of uh, the passport whispers, whether they're honestly God passports, bought, stolen, planted, reproduced, mass printed in bulk, whatever. Mm-hmm. The point of them is to identify. The attackers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Somebody, somebody yeah. organized it very well, obviously. Uh, I mean, there's a report from September 16th, so uh, two months ago on RT about fake, fake Syrian passports, and uh, this is a report about a journalist working for a Dutch magazine 
uh, was able to get a fixer and passport in less than two days in Holland mm. with the picture of the Prime Minister of Holland on it. Yeah. <laughs> so he got the, uh, a Dutch Syrian passport for the Prime Minister of Holland in two days. Yeah. But the point of where I was going with this was these are two anchor identifiers in the public mind because um, you must also keep in mind that it's it's likely that the attackers were completely different people. Right. Um, I I was thinking back to the Mumbai attacks when this was going on. Uh, there's a pretty good, decent rundown from start to finish on the Wikipedia page on it. And you can see how the story began and then ended. In the end, they had some kind of identifier for a total of eight attackers, which left them all, all eight with Muslim names, names that could be traced to Pakistan primarily, I think, or exclusively anyway. And, and that was it. It was tied up. So you had Pakistani slash Taliban attackers coming across the border into India to carry out the Mumbai attacks. But the initial reports are so different. The Indian police said on day two of four, it was a four-day spree, that they, they were faced with 37 attackers. And many, many witnesses described blonde-haired, blue-eyed, jeans-wearing, uh, young, stylish guys off their heads on drugs in bars and cafes, drinking beer and setting the bill and then whipping out Kalashnikovs and starting to shoot the place up, which is a very different picture than a dedicated fundi jihadi Islamists who crossed the border from Pakistan. So the point of this is to come up with some concrete list of names and those names will be used going forward to cement in people's mind that this was Probably they're probably going to go with these guys smuggle themselves in disguised as refugees, yada yeah. yada yada. So they may have absolutely nothing to do with the refugee flow. The point of, as we said two months ago, the point of the paranoia they were stirring up about refugees coming into Europe was that it would provide a plausible rationale for any future terrorist attacks. Exactly. So they wanted to carry out some future terror attacks. So why do they want to carry out terror attacks? Well, uh, confu uh, confusion confusion reigns in France right now. I mean, there's been another shooting this evening um, as a result of which Hollande has extended the state of emergency in France to three months mm -hmm. in which they can arrest anybody for any reason. Um, right. That may, well, I presume that's going to extend to border controls. Mm -hmm. France has effectively dropped out of Schengen, open border policy for Europe. Um the other thing that strikes me is a report in the Der Spiegel magazine about a possible pushed, pushed, I hope I pronounced that right, pushed uh, going on in Berlin. There are people apparently in the German government who are very furious with Merkel and her handling of the situation. What I'm getting at is um, this is going to, oh, one other piece of data, the Polish government right after this attack uh, on Friday saying, right, that's it. We're taking absolutely zero refugees into Poland. Mm -hmm. Where I'm going is, is just fracturing. That just, just has an effect of fracturing Europe mm -hmm. along that line. Within the principalities, down through the people. Within Paris, France, France has had a problem 
but it'll always have this problem of basically the social divide between mm. take a city like Paris. You, okay, you've got rich areas, but then you've got the middle class areas where these attacks happened. Mm-hmm. And then you've got all the way around on the outside, the banlieue, the suburbs mm-hmm. where the blacks and the Muslims live. That's a fracture line. That's just going to... Right. And they're provoking that. That's being provoked because this attack happened three weeks uh, before regional elections in France, when, uh, which the primary um, Islamophobic, let's say, or right wing anti-immigration France for the French party, the Front National, uh, is expected now to... Uh, clean sweep. Yeah, clean up at those elections. So you're you're getting a... It's basically these attacks are being used or will have the effect of polarizing, to a large extent, uh, the French public and other public... Uh, the public in, in, in other countries in Europe along the line of... Um, kind of us versus them, you know, where the West versus Islam, the clash of civilizations, basically, and allow for a more kind of totalitarian, fascistic um, atmosphere to prevail uh, in society and in politics. Uh, under those conditions, for example, you can have the rise of a new Nazi party, you know, uh, possibly. it was It's, you know, similar kind of conditions uh, emotionally, um provocative uh, uh, atmosphere that um that that anything anything like that can actually happen you know um and someone apparently wants that to happen because <clears throat> it's very hard to see how uh it's very hard to accept the idea that this could have simply happened this state of affairs a push towards a kind of fascistic kind of atmosphere political and social atmosphere within so called you know liberal europe uh, could have happened by accident, with no one intending it. Of course, we see an intent in the, in the a very clear intent in the details and the actions that led to that situation coming about. Like what I'm saying here is obviously the the Western foreign policy uh, of overthrowing democratic elected governments and trying to control the Middle East and keep Russia out of the Middle East. These are all in. You know, if you can go there, it's, it's understandable from a geopolitical perspective that the West would want to do this and it's long-term battle against Russia. But the indirect result of that is these conditions within European countries that create this fascistic, totalitarian type mentality. So which one's on first? You know, obviously both of them are valid goals from the point of view of the power elite. But one of them is more understandable in that it's just, okay, we want to control the Middle East and we're going to take these actions. But the secondary results of that, whose agenda are they serving? That, 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 the, the, the secondary results that are, have a direct effect on the people who otherwise aren't really interested in what's happening around the world, but it has a direct effect on them. You know, I mean, people in France, people in Germany, people in the UK go about their normal lives they hear now and again that, you know, oh, we're bombing Syria or, you know, Russia's in Syria, whatever. And they're like, yeah, whatever, that has nothing to do with me. Mm. But these kind of terror attacks make it all have something very definitely to do with you. You know, they directly affect the mentality of the average person in the street who otherwise doesn't give a damn about geopolitics. They still don't give a damn about geopolitics. But what they're being made to give a damn about is this question of, those damn Muslims, should they be here? 
who do we vote for? Well, there's another there's another angle to that. Um, getting back to the the idea of you know, this passport and the just its existence and its its prominence in the news, leading to the conclusion that these are refugees that have come in, and that's the reason for it. The the French authorities, at least for now, um, seem to be going in a different direction. They've named about I believe three of the alleged attackers, and one of them is a French citizen who lived just south, I believe, of Paris, and they say they identified him by a fingerprint on a finger that they found. This is one of the guys that blew himself up, and it turns out he was uh, known to police. He had uh, he you know had a few run-ins with the law and was kind of on a watch list for for being kind of a radical Islamist, but no ties to any kind of terror or terrorist organizations or tendencies. So they didn't really, well, that's what they're saying. They didn't really have him too high on the list because of that. And the other guys they're saying were three French brothers who were involved, who were living in Belgium, in Brussels. Now the story is that these, well, um, there's a couple stories that, that tie in together. One is that three guys had come into France from Belgium in one of these cars, I believe it was the black Seat. Is that how you pronounce that? Brand? Seat, yeah. And they were let into the, into France. They were stopped and uh, like questioned coming into France, but they were let go because none of these guys were on a, a watch list or anything. So they came in and one of these guys ended up going back to Belgium that same night. And he was one of the guys that the Belgium, uh, Belgian authorities have arrested. They've arrested seven people in Brussels, um, all of whom were live in this kind of um, predominantly Muslim neighborhood. So they're saying that these three brothers, three French brothers living in Brussels, one of them, or two of whom, Belgium, he was arrested. Another one of whom was the, uh, of the um, guys that blew himself up. And the third guy is still at large, and he was one of the guys that had rented these cars. So, um, so so far, they're the the three guys that have actually been named are all French citizens mm-hmm. um, traveling from Belgium. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple things there. One, it gets back to the border issue and how easily these guys went back and forth between uh, the two countries. And second the idea of this homegrown radicalization. And it's not just a problem with the refugees, but it's a problem with Muslims in general in Europe and the, the, the Muslim population. Now, there's this crazy video going, going around uh, that we watched um, on you know, how evil and bad the, the refugees are and the... The anti-migrant video going yeah. viral across Europe. Yes. Yeah, people have been sending it into thought and saying, why doesn't self publish this video? Huh? 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 Tell us about it. Well, well, you've really just got to watch it. It just it, Let's just say it starts out with a bang and it doesn't go downhill from there. Mm-hmm. It's like It starts out with just like three or four minutes of just um, like this kind of heavy, almost like heavy metal techno kind of music that just gets your blood pumping and it's all these images of what appear to be you know refugees getting in fights and, and punching people and swearing and and then for that from there it goes on for 19 minutes about um just how these people basically aren't human they're rapists and criminals and they are 
um, shallow and selfish and materialistic and just anything bad you can possibly think about a person. That's what that's how this video portrays all refugees, all yeah. these refugees. So it's a it's a slick video portraying the Muslim horde mm-hmm. pouring into white Christian civilized Europe, raping our women, which is blue and white by the way. Homes. Raping our women, taking our homes, <clears throat> and it was uploaded and has been viralized rather than just spontaneously gone viral. I think uploaded the day before the attacks, but probably a coincidence. But this has been brewing for some time now. I mean, you're going to get a lot of, it's going to get a lot of traction. Even if, to pick up on what you were starting to talk about, which was some of the details suggest they're going with this being homegrown Mm -hmm. type of thing rather than the result of Muslims pouring into Europe, Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter. The association people are making is, Muslims, terrorists, aren't there a lot of them coming to Europe? Yes. Oh, my God, we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. So whatever else to say about who did it, mm-hmm. uh, they've already said who did it. Yeah, it won't make a difference. ISIS snuck into Europe among the refugees with the darker undertone as explicitly delivered in this, in this video, being that they're all the same, aren't they? Yeah. And this video even... A guy on radio, uh, sorry, a, a known commentator on French radio today, jokingly in quotes, put it out there, you know, we probably need to put them all in detention camps. Yeah. I mean, we're there. People can yeah. freely express what's on their mind. Mm-hmm. We want to see a lot of this, you know. That's actually, the blur comes with this video is something like, you know, don't be afraid to say what you can say while you're still free to say it because the time is coming when you won't have free speech anymore. So express your inner hatred for Muslims. They don't say it in such words, but that's what they mean. And this, this video, it doesn't just focus on the refugees. Of course, that's the, the thrust of it. But by extension, it applies to the entire Muslim population in Europe. And the way it is presented is that the Muslims are here and they are coming in order to displace peons entirely as, you know, as individual races. Yeah. So the British will be gone. I mean, how long before there are any British left or any French left? They'll all be Muslims because the Muslims have so many. They have four wives and eight children. And, uh, you know, the European races are just dying out and the Muslims are coming in to take over. Well, it would actually be a positive development for yeah. Europe because, frankly, concentrations of white people, as we can see on the planet over the last 500 years, are pretty dangerous. Yeah. So the more they mix, I think, the safer it is for the planet as a whole. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Mm. It is. It's it's going to be as horrific as this is, people. You're going to get a front row seat for seeing up front, um, close and personal, how psychopaths can destroy in very quick time uh, countries, groups of people, civilizations, whatever you call it. They're going to turn everyone against everyone else, and it's it's going to be a masterclass in how to destroy everything. So, yeah, enjoy it. Just um, uh, some other details we can throw out there. We're not, as you probably noticed from our reporting of this on SOT, you know, it's there's so many reports, so many contradictory reports. 
bleh. But there are a couple of gems out there. Um, one that we picked up today was a, a multi-site exercise had been planned, was planned and carried out on the morning of the attacks, which we learned through a guy called Patrick Pellou. He spoke to a French radio station um, yesterday, Saturday. His exact words were, as luck would have it, in the morning of the Paris, in the morning at the Paris SAMU, which is acronym for basically the French um, EMT. Is a hospital, is it? No, SAMU, yeah, well, it's more or less an ambulance or emergency response service. Okay. As luck would have it, that morning we had a multi-site attack exercise planned. So we were prepared. And he goes on to say there was a mobilization, police forces, firemen, EMTs, and we tried to save as many people as possible. He doesn't spell it out as clearly as we've seen with other terror attacks, but the suggestion there seems to be that there was a lot, there were a lot of first responders right. hanging around. I'm not sure. A lot of police on the scene, and a lot yeah. of police on the scene means that there are police there who will possibly be able to do certain things as the attack was progressing. Uh, if they had some foreknowledge of the attack, there are certain members of the police or members of some organization within the police uh, being on site in advance of the attack actually happening and as it was happening to uh, do whatever they wanted to do. And that's as far as we'll, we'll go with... Uh, yeah, was suggesting what could happen. <coughs> what, what, this whole situation of these drills that happen on the morning of terror attacks takes the whole con coincidence theory. I mean, coincidence theorists are crazy enough, mm. but when you hear these ones that come out with, uh, who actually believe this as a coincidence that, uh, you know, a country like France, who, okay, today, this year it had uh, two, but they were separated, two terror attacks, but they were separated by uh, 11 months. Um and before that, France has had very few actual terror attacks. Um, so the idea that on the day that one of these extremely rare terror, attack, terror attacks happened, stood still on a highway. I saw one. By the side of the road With a face that I knew like my own Reflected in my window Well, she walked up to my quarter light And she bent down real slow A fearful pressure Paralyze me in my shadow. She said, Son, what are you doing here? My fear for you has turned me in my grave. I said, Mama, I come to the valley of the rich. Myself to sell 
kind of a fake or kind of um, well, they took a situ. Well, in the JFK, the idea is that there there was an attack planned, kind of a fake attack on JFK, so a failed assassination attack that could then be used for a different purpose. Other elements of the intelligence agencies found out about this and basically made it live to a real assassination attempt. There's another theory about that for 9-11, kind of a similar thing, usually involving Israeli Mossad. But um, so I'm just wondering that, um, well, this attack looks like it did have some kind of um, intelligence capability like they knew they they had some information they knew what was going on in order to make this attack happen they knew that Olan was going to be at this this game at uh, the Stade de France and um, they knew the targets like they chose their targets well they were kind of hot spots where where young people were going to be hanging out and having a good time and so people some people are saying well first of all these people must were either French or they they were dealing and working with people that knew the scene, knew Paris, knew how to get around, where to go, when to be there, etc. So I'm just saying that uh, there's a possibility that that um, the people directing these people knew a lot about what was going on and had sure. their tentacles in. Now, where they came from, who they actually are, that's a, that's a question that can be it's kind of open. But that, that, that's no different than if you're the orchestrator and you orchestrate both the drill well, and the live version. Effectively, it's the same. You are someone with some kind of inside information and unbeknownst to all the others involved mm-hmm. in another operation, you take advantage of it. Yeah. So effectively, it's half, you know, six yeah. of one, half of the other, yeah. it doesn't really matter. So Hollande was kind of telling the truth probably when he said that, uh, what was the, how did he put it, that this was, well, first of all, he said that we know who who did this and that they were, um, let's say, people from abroad, but also people from within France. And that's kind of all he said. It was pretty fake the way he sure, said sure. it. Yeah, but I think he was referring specifically to ISIS yeah. and radicalized on terrorists and stuff. Um, we could analyze this till dawn, or we could do as Joe did and look at history. Mm. You found a gem mm. and put it in a recent article. Yeah. Tell us what happened in 1961. Well, f- fundamentally, this is about French colonialism, because French colonialism is what is happening in Syria right now. The French are involved with their bigger brother partners, the USA, in attempting to colonize or maintain control, maintain their colonization control over the Middle East. Uh, They don't like the Syrian government of Assad because he stands in the way of uh, Western uh, goals and intentions in the Middle East to effectively maintain control of it. And Assad is also, the Syrian government is also uh, chosen to align itself as it it began to do many years ago with Russia. so we're dealing here with a situation of French colonialism, essentially, and uh, the la- it's quite interesting because it was, I was talking to my uh, my father earlier on today about this situation, and I hadn't mentioned really anything. Just he just brought up the Paris attacks, and he the first thing he mentioned was he said, "Well, it reminds me of the SAO," uh, and I went, "Really? What's the SAO?" and 
You didn't read my article? Anyway, <laughs> oh, that. And so, so, oh, yeah. so, I, so, yes. so I said, uh, really, it reminds me of the SAO. And he said, yeah, like he said, that uh, secret army organization. He said, because I remember back in the 1960s that there was a similar kind of dynamic going on with bomb attacks, etc., in France. And it was all about uh, the French uh, war that was ongoing at that time, uh, colonial war with Algeria where there had basically been an up of France. Algeria had been a, a colony of France for, for quite a while, and the Algerians had basically risen up in a war of independence against the French. And the SAO was a group that was effectively an offshoot or part of the Gladio Stay Behind Network created in the aftermath of the Second World War and the creation of the, basically beginning of the Cold War and the, the Iron Curtain across Europe. Huh? I wouldn't have been known at the time now. You're saying looking back, we know that it's part of that. Well, what I'm saying is that the SAO was a was a part of, yes, the SAO was a part of this Gladio network that uh-huh. was set up in the aftermath of the Second World War as a secret organization under the auspices of NATO, uh, effectively the USA, to control European governments and prevent them from falling into under the influence of the Soviets. And they were effectively... Military, paramilitary groups that were kept hidden uh, and, and loosely organized around Europe uh, and they periodically uh, carried out bombing and shooting attacks in various European countries uh, when it was necessary to demonize uh, communist, the Communist Party and leftist groups in Europe uh, to prevent them from coming to power in, in, in governments in Europe because NATO and the Americans wanted to prevent that from having any, any left leftward swing amongst European governments and to keep Europe uh, under under American influence. So this group SAO was one of those groups, and during this uh, war of independence with uh, Algeria between the French and the Algerians, uh, this group was tasked effectively by NATO. NATO with trying to keep Algeria as part of the French, as a, as a French colony. Because that, at that time, uh, President Charles de Gaulle was, had already announced uh, more or less plans for a ceasefire in 1961, and they eventually signed the Evian, Evian Peace Accords, where effectively uh, the, those, a ceasefire was announced and it paved the way for independence for Algeria from France. And this group, under the auspices of NATO and the, and the Americans wanted to prevent that happening. So they were, uh, apparently their strategy when they, to, try and, to try and keep Algeria was to carry out bombed, bomb attacks and gun attacks on different individuals and even on, on civilians in France to uh, put pressure on, on the de Gaulle government to, to keep Algeria, which doesn't seem like it was ever going to work. But this was their strategy. But their their main goal was to keep Europe under a Western or American NATO sphere of influence. Uh, one of the attacks that this group carried out in 1961 was the bombing of a train that was a French train that was traveling from Paris to Strasbourg. Uh, they placed a bomb on the tracks and detonated it as the train approached, it derailed the train, and 28 people killed. And that was the biggest terror attack, or biggest number of, the worst terror attack, with the biggest number of fatalities in France prior to 
this Paris attack two nights ago. And it was also the last time that France declared a state of emergency. Right, uh, the last time they declared a state of emergency, yep. So they, uh, the, the interesting thing is that the day after these Paris attacks just yesterday, a French train derailed on more or less the same route, which was Paris to Strasbourg. Um, the, the media or the authorities within an hour or two of the crash announced that it was caused by excessive speed, which is always interesting when you hear uh, conclusion. A mechanical explanation. Well, when you hear hours. Well, when you hear any conclusion to any uh, deadly um, accident or incident uh, involving trains or planes or anything else. Uh, that within an hour they said, yep, we know what that was. And it was and not terrorist. And this coming right after. And how could they know that? And, yeah, so obviously the, the, at, even while they were saying that, the police um, police said, well, no, actually, we don't know what happened this. You know, this is the same day as it happened. We don't know what caused it. So um, it's just an interesting correlation that um, you had in the 1960s, effectively a NATO slash U.S. covert uh, paramilitary group bombing a train uh, in France as a way to put pressure on the French government. And then yesterday, someone, and this is my hypothesis, that that train crash was not an accident, but it was similar to the event in 1961 where someone probably put a bomb on the tracks. Uh, that, so you effectively have a repetition of that situation in 1961 uh, with a French train being derailed by a bomb. In 1961, it was caused by a group of paramilitary terrorists working for NATO who did it to put pressure on the French government. Mm -hmm. So if you backtrack one day and look at uh, who might be responsible for the Paris attacks, to a certain extent there's a precedent in France of paramilitary groups, covert paramilitary groups working for effectively the Americans or some aspect of the American, some agency of the American government uh, carrying out bombing attacks in France or terrorist attacks in France to put pressure on the French government. And in 40 years of high-speed railway network in France, this, what happened yesterday was the first accident on a brand new stretch of high-speed railway line, which hasn't even opened yet, it's due to open next year, the people in the train were workers for the French rail company testing out the track on its maiden test journey and were being asked to believe it derailed due to excessive speed. Well, even if that's yeah. the case, even if that is the case that it derailed because of excessive speed, what was the source of that excessive speed? I mean, because... Uh-huh. Okay, it could have been more sophisticated. Yeah. Maybe not a bomb on the tracks. or any number of ways to hijack infrastructure. Well, the other important aspect of this is that the original bombing <clears throat> that occurred in 1961, the first bombing on on the, on the Paris to Strasbourg line, uh, was uh, known at the time that it was a terrorist attack using a bomb, but they actually, the government kept it secret for 20 years. So... <laughs> um, mm. So for those who think they can come out with an explanation as to what had happened, or think that the that that any explanation that uh, uh, 
provide the answer to what caused the train to crash on the very same day are a bit naive, considering that uh, the last time a similar event happened, uh, the US, uh, French government covered it up for 20 years. Now, this parallel, if it is that, is interesting, but there are some key differences. The situation in France then was different now. Then you had a leader who was pretty much anti-US empire, let it be known. Mm-hmm. He knew the problem with the US dollar being the world reserve currency. He complained that because it was the world reserve currency, everyone else was effectively paying a tithe or tax to Washington or Wall Street. And he complained about it bitterly. Um, that's just one example, but his complaints were broader than that. He took France out of NATO. No one had ever left the club. This was the one time someone left the club. Of course, they've since rejoined NATO. So in that situation, the OAS, Armée Secrète, phony, commie paramilitary group as actually a NATO gladio operation, it is more or less a foreign proxy force against the state forces or the state heads in this case yeah. of a non-party member, a non well, that, not aligned with them. That's in group. Unlike today, though. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's in group at the time. Um, attempted to assassinate, carried out seven assassination attempts on Charles de Gaulle. <clears throat> the most serious one was, to, was the year after the train bombing in 1962 when one of their members uh, raked uh, de Gaulle's car with him and his wife in it with machine gun fire, just uh, narrowly avoiding uh, killing him. Uh, so that was a major motivating factor for de Gaulle to finally kick NATO out of or to remove France from, from NATO membership and remove all foreign military uh, assets or bases in, in France um, in 1966 and for more or less for, for, for the next 30 years that's the way it stayed and France was in that respect relatively uh, was independent of uh, American and NATO influence unless they chose to, to participate but it was in 1998 Sorry, 2008, for the next 40 years, they were out of NATO. And in 2008, it was Nicolas Sarkozy who uh, decided to uh, rejoin the NATO club uh, or put France back into NATO. Uh, but it's interesting because if you look at the map of um, of Europe and the U.S. military bases of whatever sides, France uh, more or less stands alone as the only... Uh, major or semi-major country in Europe that has no U.S. military bases on its territory. So, in that respect, you know, U.S. influence in France is is, is limited in that way, um, which makes me think that this is why France may be coming under some particular attention. Particular attention. Well, there's been a couple of interesting responses from French politicians to this, including Sarkozy. So Sarkozy had to say uh, this. He said, I told the president, Hollande, that I believe we should put together appropriate responses, which means a shift in our foreign policy at the European level and some drastic changes to our security policy. We need the whole world to destroy, to destroy Daesh, ISIS, in particular the Russians. Europe must regroup to set the conditions for a new immigration policy, we must learn the consequences of failures and turn our resources towards all those who look at jihadi websites. 
So mixed in there is we need Russia, basically, in order to defeat ISIS. Now, a member of, the, of Sarkozy's Republican Party, uh, Jacques Miard, came out and said something similar. He's been um, critical of the French stance on, uh, on Syria for a while now, but he had to say this. He said, it's very simple. We are at war. We are fighting against different kinds of jihadists and the Islamic State. We must arm ourselves. We must, we must be vigilant. There is no alternative. He said, we must go further. France needs to re-examine its foreign policy, particularly in Syria. I think we have followed a mistaken policy. Today, those who are fighting the jihadists are those in Damascus and the support of, with the support of Iran and Russia. Though Bashar Assad is not a saint, his government is not France's enemy. Um, that was the, well, the direct quote was, the enemy today is the Islamic State, the jihadists of Al-Qaeda. It is not Bashar al-Assad who is the enemy of France. Mm-hmm. Okay. This, is the, this is exactly what NATO Gladio operation spent 40 years working against, mm-hmm. aligning with Moscow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, there's the SAO, Proxy Mercenary Army, and we just happened today to have a similar proxy mercenary army, which is ISIS. Mm-hmm. Then it was so, Algeria, now it's Syria. Yeah. But what strikes, what, what strikes me as kind of odd is this whole kind of narrative that came out immediately after the attacks. We had, first of all, some um, kind of dubious report that in the uh, concert hall where the where 80-something people were killed, shot, and then the, the guys, the, the two guys exploded themselves and the third guy was shot by French security forces, apparently. One of these guys had allegedly said, this is for Syria. Now, of course, other reports from eyewitnesses say these guys didn't shout anything. They just shot people and that was it. But we have this, this is for Syria thing. And then later that day, ISIS allegedly releases a video and an audio claiming responsibility for it and saying that this is for this is for Syria. This is in retaliation for French airstrikes in Syria. Now, stop to think about that for a sec. So you've got someone saying this is for the airstrikes in Syria. Okay, well, who's really doing any airstrikes in Syria? The Russians are doing real airstrikes in Syria. Now, the Americans have been pretending to do them for a while. Now, how many airstrikes has France done in Syria? They've done depending on reports, two or three, two or three airstrikes in Syria. Now, (laughs) how does that mesh? Yeah, yeah. Um, It doesn't. It doesn't. That's a simple answer. Mm -hmm. The narratives are logical. If this should have happened anywhere, it should have happened in Moscow. Mm -hmm. It happens in Paris. Well, to me, it says if you look at, uh, if you assume the idea of a hidden hand behind these kind of asymmetric attacks on foreign governments, the two that have happened uh, most recently, well, the three that have happened most recently in in Western Europe or in in Europe and Russia have been uh, the Charlie Hebdo attack in January this year, then the shooting down of a Russian airliner uh, just last month. And and now the Paris attacks. So France and Russia are being targeted here by someone for some specific reason. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it suggests to me that there's stuff going on in the background that certain people don't like to see happening. Certain people perhaps in Washington, D.C. or in some other hidden yeah. closet somewhere in the bowels of the Pentagon or something don't like to see certain things happening in the background that we aren't even privy to. Mm. A certain move towards, um, you know, to, away from a U.S. dominated policy. Uh, there are other aspects uh other other factors that play into this uh or that that give credence to this one of them is for example that um people probably know what that uh what the t tip uh is it's the trans transatlantic trade and investment partnership right something like that which is basically a corporate takeover uh, giving power to corporations to effectively run countries. Uh, it's the corporatization of the world that is being led by and pushed by America. Now, uh, the U.S. have been trying to sign up uh, as many European countries uh, to this agreement that would largely favor uh, America or favor American corporations because American corporations are the most dominant multinational corporations in the world and the richest. Uh, but just recently, at the end of a uh, little over a month ago, the French um, Minister of State for Foreign Trade threatened to complete to call a complete halt to negotiations if uh, he did he made this threat based on what he said was a total lack of transparency in negotiations with America. He said that it posed a democratic problem and that American members of Parliament or Congress have access to a much higher number of documents than we do in Europe. So basically it seems that the U.S. is trying to, trying to sell this agreement to the world effectively because they have a, a similar agreement with the Pacific region, uh, which would effectively weight, uh, from an economic perspective, uh, weight everything, weight economic trade, etc., in favor of American corporations. Um, so you have... Uh, the Minister of State for Foreign Trade, the French Minister of State for Foreign Trade, uh, potentially walking away from this or threatening that France would walk away from it, which probably does not uh, make the Americans happy at all. The Israelis aren't too happy with uh, France and uh, Europe in general uh, over the last year or so. Back in um, November uh, 2014, when... Um, Several countries recognized Palestine as a state. Uh, France was one of them. Benjamin Netanyahu at the time said that, uh, well, he basically said that it would be a grave mistake for France mm. to recognize, uh, to recognize uh, Palestinian statehood. Is that a threat? I don't know, but maybe you tell us. Uh, and then just more recently, there was a lot of Israeli anger at the EU in general for agreeing to label uh, settlement products as. Uh, as for what they were, basically, these are, uh, this was an EU uh, decision um, to uh, assert the fact that they, that the European Union, in line with international law, does not recognize Israel's sovereignty over the occupied territories, the occupied Palestinian territories, especially the Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip, and the West Bank and uh, East Jerusalem. So any uh, Israeli occupation factories for or businesses on any Palestinian land who are producing products and selling them to Europe, labeled as Israeli, the EU has said, no, you have to label those as occupied occupied territory products. Yeah, so that consumers can see that they're buying 
products from land owned by Palestinians but stolen by Israel and exploited by Israel. So, um, Which would obviously hurt the economic... Right, of the, of the, of the Persian in those regions. Right, and the, of the Persian kind of uh, yeah. Israeli uh, colonies on Palestinian land. Um, those are other factors, but we have uh, Stephen on the line again. Uh, hi, Stephen, are you there? Uh, yes, I am here. Thank you. Um, hey, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Um, I'm enjoying the discussion. Um, you know, when I'm looking at the situation with the terrorist uh, attacks in, in Paris, um, you know, I back up a step and go, okay, does this really serve um, the U.S. policy goals? And that would be, uh, there's some conjecture that it would be to get France involved and NATO involved into uh, more intensely into Syria and, and Iraq. And um, I, I really think about it, I'm going like, no, no, because... Um, ISIS would uh, would actually benefit from what it what France has been doing, which is funding uh, mercenaries to overthrow mm-hmm. the secular government of Syria. And um, so, and this is just speculation on my part. I think that um, I tend to think that this was coordinated with U.S. intelligence meant to uh, just develop mayhem like a wild card because they've lost the narrative and it's a desperate attempt to just shake mm. things up, the shake up the trajectory of Russia becoming seen as uh, a savior and um, shakes it up. And then, um, so it's a desperate attempt um, and it's uh, it's going to work out, see how, this would lead France to align tightly with the U.S. on a total different trajectory of involvement into the region that would be working totally outside of Russia's efforts. You follow me? Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, why would it uh, – obviously, the, the obvious um, motivation or the, the obvious um, – political capital that it provides to France is to say, okay, we're going to get those terrorists. But that's totally against what the U.S. wants to happen, which is, which is what Russia is doing, which is getting the terrorists. America and France, if France is aligned with America, they don't want anybody to get the terrorists. So the idea that this would give motivation or, or justification for France to, to dash over to Syria and Iraq and start bombing ISIS is totally against the whole American rationale, which is leave, leave them alone. Yeah, well, of course, that's an unstated rationale, but right now the United States is trying to, uh, it's desperately trying to change the narrative to be seen as the heroes against Daesh, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yep, right. also what, yeah, also what's so, I just don't see, I, I, I can't stand Hollande. I think the guy's feckless. <laughs> they might have, like, films of him having sex with children. I mean, who knows? But the guy is totally feckless. And um, I'm, I'm so heartened by what y'all quoted from Sarkozy and the other person within the conservative party of Sarkozy, you know, of saying, hey, you know, we need to regroup. We need to work with Russia. I mean, that's so brilliant because mm-hmm. I just can't see having like, Sarkozy having said that and another ally, big, big wig within the party actually saying that, too. 
that's going to make it hard for Olan to go on a mission, on a cowboy mission, totally outside of Russia and opposed to longer-term goals, opposed to what Russia is trying to accomplish, primarily the viability, protecting the viability of the Syrian state and the sectarian, supporting the sectarian, um, the, uh, the secular nature of the Syrian state. So I just can't see, I can't see Olan going off on a cowboy mission with Obama that's opposed to not just the quote-unquote terrorists, but opposed to Russia's goals. That's going to look too creepy and too incongruous, um, you know, right. in, the, in the overall. I mean, how would they even do that? God, no, God knows. God knows. But uh, the United States is actually very desperate right now. As a matter of fact, they're trying to split off the uh, Kurds in um, in that area of of Syria. They're trying to split them off as as total proxies under the wing of the United States and being opposed to the Syrian government. And um, that's that's their big goal right now. Because I read on uh, on uh, Red Voltaire um, that some of the Kurds have been going into towns that were. Uh, Christian, and there's a lot of different groups of Christian there, and and, and then um, changing school teachers and language, and um, so there's the United States is trying to. Um, this is my guess anyway, but it seems that the United States is trying to split off the Kurds as being total proxies and allies of the United States in Syria, and then they want to they want to establish some kind of uh, autonomous territory where the United States military presence is uh, assured for the long term in that area. This is just uh, mm-hmm. some of the stuff that I've read, and it seems logical that they would be trying to do that. Now, how successful they can be, given that Syria has given the Kurds in this region a lot of leeway you know, in, in autonomy in, into protecting their interests, how they would just jump under the umbrella of the United States, who has been helping funnel um, jihadists into Syria to overthrow the government and create tumult, you know that that would be it's it, it's hard for me to think that the Kurds there would be that that dumb, you know. But but who mm-hmm. knows? You know, there's a lot of corruption going on. But anyway, uh, I'm enjoying your show so far, and um, you know I think that this is going to uh, I think the United States is going to fail. In their efforts, um, little, their little shenanigans in this, and it's unfortunate that the French people—it seems to me anyway—that um, have been subjected to this violence. That it just doesn't make sense to me that this was just solely, you know, the Islamic State fanatics um, mm-hmm. engaging in this. It just just doesn't kind of compute, you know. It just—it's just really weird. But anyway, I'm enjoying listening to the rest of y'all's show, okay? All right. Thanks, John. Uh, Steve. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. All right. Uh, yeah, I think I think he's on the one yeah. there when he said that this is just a, a desperate attempt by the Western cabal, cabalists to, um, to do something, do anything, to shake up the situation, to create some chaos, to give the French government a problem, basically, uh, to militarize the country, to lock it down, to uh, force them or encourage them to engage in these kind of uh, tactics, to basically distract them from what 
the the one thing that these these Western this Western cabal has never wanted to see and has always feared, which is uh, kind of a normal or as close to normal situation as possible uh, prevailing in Europe, uh, whereby uh, France and Germany in particular would uh, establish closer and closer ties with Russia uh, and basically align with Russia as they naturally should, being on their doorstep. Uh, And I think this is the one thing they have always wanted to avoid ever happening. At this point, uh, they're they're getting extremely desperate into how to prevent that from happening, especially with Russian uh, airstrikes and involvement in Syria and basically securing Syria for 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 Russia essentially, um, this is this is just the last, a final, almost desperate attempt to to stop that from happening. And the only thing they can think of doing is just create some chaos in France, stir up the population, get people fighting with each other, get the, uh, hit that uh, fracture point of uh, Muslims versus uh, you know non-Muslim French, uh, and that's his, that's the best they can do. Because otherwise, like, like uh, Stephen was just saying, um, it doesn't really make any sense uh, for this to be used or, or the motivation for this attack in Paris to be to give uh, the French government that justification to go and attack ISIS. Because mm. in case anybody hasn't noticed, uh, the West, in particular the US and its Western allies, have for the past four years done virtually nothing about ISIS. They have given them a free pass because ISIS is effectively, along with the other Al-Qaeda and Al-Nusra and different uh, terrorist groups in Syria, they are effectively, directly or indirectly, the tools of Western imperialism in its attempt to overthrow the Assad government. So those are our guys. Now, why would anyone want to, in the West want to provide France or the West in general with motivation to go and attack those guys by having those guys attack French uh, people in Paris? None of that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, this ISIS and course are, as you wrote in your article, they're terrible strategists. Yeah, if we're to believe this is their strategy, right? They're being decimated, effectively, and and uh, run ragged and, and and routed by and the, they wave a red by, flag by the by the Russian yeah by the Russian military uh, Russian airstrikes over the past six weeks. They're really on the back foot. They're losing a lot of ground. So what they do is attack France. So France can turn around and say, okay, we're going to join with enthusiasm the attacks on ISIS. This so is so that we can give them, you know, deal the, the, the coup de grace to them? Is that what they wanted? This is the thing about trying to decipher and understand asymmetric warfare. The payoff is rarely apparent. It, it, it's often only in hindsight that you see a payoff can, can make sense. You know? Um... We were speaking earlier today, Joe, about, okay, so maybe you've got a group that says, quick, we've got to do something. And that might be your desperate group. Maybe it's in the interest of the cabal, Western cabal's overall foreign policy objectives, vis-a-vis Russia, etc. But you were also talking about agendas within agendas. Mm. And you know what strikes me about the the fallout, the reaction from the attacks in Paris, 
websites, news sites, social media sites, they all have the little banners um, in support and offering condolences to the victims of the attacks in Paris. Well, you never ever see that when 100 people are blown up by a car bomb in Baghdad. Mm. I mean, Baghdad is right. Iraq is ostensibly now a free democratic country, right? Well, last year, 17 and a half thousand Iraqi civilians were killed in car bomb attacks, shootings, etc. I don't remember uh, Newsom's Baghdad or Newsom's Mosul campaign. Anyway, the point is, you have this, this, this campaign, and it's not just visible online, it's very visible on the streets, particularly in Western capitals from New Zealand to state capitals in the U.S., um, displaying colors of the French flags at nighttime in sympathy with the victims in Paris. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, what's tr- the, the pyramids are going to be lit up tonight in Egypt. In Egypt, the Egyptian pyramids are going to be red, white, and blue. We're not, are they? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, it's What I see when I see all this is a kind of a... Um, a one-worldism, a binding of as many people as possible to one basic worldview. They don't, they're not even fussed about whether or not people recognize and accept that America is the guardian. They may even explicitly disagree that America should be the policeman of that one world, mm-hmm. but that the primary interest is the binding of a one-world of as many people as possible into a basic way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. And that's it, when they do these things, it's with the methodical, psychopathological, but also there is some objective science to it, understanding that um, cattle prodding the herd like this herds them all together and makes them easier to... Mm-hmm. control and maintain within a certain worldview and therefore certain frequency sense or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty despicable to see that. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, you could say it's despicable, I suppose, that uh, all this outpouring of grief for the victims of the Paris attack, but like you just said, countless other people, uh, people in other countries are killed on a regular basis and there's not a peep from the press or from Facebook or from anybody changing their their Facebook profile picture to the colour of the French flag or to the colour of any other flags. And I mean it's kinda of ridiculous uh when for example you read that today uh Palestinians were holding a vigil for French uh the French victims of the Paris attack, you know. I mean when was the last time uh, you saw any kind of mass social media uh um, you know, outpouring of, of grief for a particular attack on, um, or a global one, effectively, as, as is happening for the Paris attacks. You don't see that for anyone else. It's just it's an example of, of course, uh, the kind of elitism and the two-tier world that we live in, where people in the West are the elect and other people uh, are, I don't know, not the elect. They feed us. Therefore, exactly. Therefore, when they die, it doesn't matter. But, of course, uh, people in the West are victims of this uh, nonsense narrative that has been pushed for the past 20 or 30 years or longer uh, in in the Western media and Western culture 
um, that people, for example, in the Middle East are just, they just fight each other all the time and, and killing and dying there is just uh, par for the course and people have become, to a certain extent, immune to that or, or, or have normalized it as a part of daily life over there and that's just the way those people are. But that's, they're largely victims of uh, Western propaganda that tells them that, you know, um, and tells them that over there it's kind of like dictatorships and uh, fundamentalist religion in the West. It's all about wonderful freedom and democracy and uh, the, the wonderful Western values, uh, etc. Uh, when it's not true at all, mm. you know, I mean, the only reason people are dying on a daily basis in, in Middle Eastern countries and, and Africa, etc., is largely because of Western intervention. The wonderful values of the West spread to the Middle East and Africa uh, that that involves overthrowing of governments, arming of uh, of kind of death squads and, and uh, warlords, etc., uh, and brutal regimes like the Saudi regime who get a free pass and get uh, passed off as, as uh, some kind of a bizarre democracy that likes to chop people's heads off for stealing stuff from stores. So uh, that's largely a result of propaganda. We're seeing it very, uh, very displayed very explicitly on social media in the West and around the world. And, but the bizarre thing is that it has actually affected the victims, the real victims of uh, in this in a, in a broad global sense. Mm. Well, they're flooding into Europe, right? In the hope and the expectation that um, that they're going to they're going to be saved, helped, find Valhalla. And do, do these people not understand that? the cause of their strife, whether it's through manufactured civil war, <clears throat> manufactured famine, or wherever they are in the world, invasion. is the result Over of the these people they're going to and expecting to be welcomed with open arms. Yeah. I, I think a large swathe of them don't realize that. I think they, like anyone else, it, it can take a generation for, for example, the Iraqis to really look back and go, how the hell did that happen? I'd sit down and work it out that the U.S. came and went but left behind structures that kept the country divisive and well, it may end up dividing it. It's a situation where the slaves, you know, it's akin to the slave wanting to be the, the slave master, you know. Uh, I suppose a natural uh, response when you've been kept down and kept in relative slavery for so long, your aspirations would be to uh, join the uh, slave, tra- slave driver and become a slave driver yourself in the, in the big house, you know. The guy who's stealing all your stuff, well, you want to go and live with him because he's got all your stuff. Uh, they, yeah. you know, what other choice do you have? You know? Exactly. We can't, we, we can't, you're right, we can't pontificate and say, why don't they stay and fight or try and work it out? Or, yeah, they don't want to, uh, but they're being forced uh, to stay yeah. and fight. You know, they're being forced to live in those conditions and put up with uh, uh, regular invasions and uh, destabilization of their countries and terrorist bombings uh, perpetrated by the West. And uh, when they try to flee, uh, as has happened in Syria, as a result of Western funding of proxy armies and terrorists in Syria, the Syrian people leave Syria, come to Europe, and uh, and there's a, a kind of the kind of terror attack you see in Paris that serves to uh, marginalise them and demonise them as a people, as, as a, a people who adhere to a certain religion in those Western countries that they've come to for salvation. Now they find themselves as uh, effectively looked down on and. And, and label as terrorists because the terrorism that they're fleeing in Syria is being perpetrated on the countries they're trying to uh, get to, to 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 escape the terrorism, and they are ultimately the perennial victims, you know. Even in the countries where they where they think they're going to be find safe havens. 
There you go. Anyway, I think uh, it's a pretty nasty situation, you know, all the way, all the way around. Uh, but again, I think there's some hope to be had in the sense that it does seem to be like a desperate uh, attempt by these powers that be uh, to to just hold on to their power to to stop the the rot effectively of of their own uh, kind of empire and their own power and control kind of crumbling underneath them because they've simply pushed the situation far too far and uh, dug too deep. Uh, for for the power and the, the gold and the control, uh, and it's no longer tenable. Uh, it was never going to be able to, to to be able to push to the extreme that they are pushing it, and they're seeing the results of that right now. And the response to seeing that you know the the edifice is crumbling is to just lash out in desperation and uh, create some chaos in specific countries to try and maintain control of the situation, but that's actually going to just push control further away from their grasp. Uh, so while there's hope in that, it's also a very dangerous situation because you're dealing with people who are very dangerous, ruthless, conscienceless, conscienceless, uh, kind of psychopathic type individuals who, um, who don't really have any line that they will not cross in attempting to uh, maintain power and control. So everybody needs to keep their eyes open and beware and not fall into, uh, not be, not allow themselves to be manipulated by uh, propaganda and uh, trauma and terror attacks and all that kind of stuff, you know. So that's what I think anyway. Uh, so I think we're going to leave it there for this week, folks, a little bit earlier than usual tonight, but uh, we hope you find the show informative. Uh we will be back hopefully next week with an interview with former NSA agent, NSA translator, I think specifically. Who was Edward Snowden? Scott Rickard. Oh. Uh, that, that's very glad to have that on record. And he just said, oh. You don't like Scott Rickard? Will I tell him not to come? No, no. That's oh, all I know. No, no. I was hoping for a yay there. Uh, okay. Uh, so we'll be hopefully talking to Scott Rickard next week. Um so uh, we hope you'll tune in same time, same place. Until then, have a good evening. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <clears throat>